RWJ Barnabas Health Telemed offers you two convenient ways to see a doctor anytime, anywhere, without having to come in for an appointment. If you're in need of urgent care, you can use our app to connect with a provider 24-7, right on your smartphone, tablet, or computer. Or you can use our website to schedule a virtual visit with an RWJ Barnabas Health Medical Group provider or specialist. And you can even register as a new patient. Book an appointment online at rwjbh.org slash telemed. Your safety has always been our top priority, and we've taken every precaution. So don't delay your care any longer. Get started today at rwjbh.org slash telemed. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Hello, everyone. I'm Sam Kassan, and welcome to this week's edition of Speak of the Devils, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. I'm joined with Amanda Stein. And by the way, Amanda, this is a big moment for us. It's our first ever podcast together. I was going to say it. This is a big moment for Sam and I. Uh, Normally, we're like teeing off for each other if I can't do something or Sam can't do something. But now we get our moment to shine, Sam, together. It's, it's, it's the A-team. I mean, don't tell the rest of the crew that, but this no, is clearly no. the A-team. Exactly, exactly. No, I'm very excited to talk to you um, and to be part of the podcast with you. I've been doing it for a while. I've heard you do some with, you know, where I'm not there. So very excited to have these conversations as we get ready for the NHL draft. But you and I text about a lot as we're getting ready with all of our coverage. Exactly. Oh, we're well deep into the NHL draft coverage and, we have an expert coming on today, Chris Peters, to talk about it. But Amanda, what do you love most about the draft and covering the draft? Um, you know, I, I guess like I've been so privileged in my life and in my career to attend drafts and be there for those moments where it's really like, even when you know who's going to go first overall, um, just like that feeling in the room where it's like so tense and then the name comes out. I mean, I just love those. I mean, maybe I'm being really sappy, but like those little family moments that you get to see where you're literally like in the presence of watching someone's dream come true. And like, when can you really, honestly, like when can you really say that in life where you're there or you're watching someone's lifelong dream or the beginning of a lifelong dream start to happen. And so that's really cool. Um, I, I love that about the draft and I love seeing, you know, who's right, who's wrong and who's going off the board. And I know that we're going to talk to uh, Chris a lot about that. <laughs> Yeah, I always love really the optimism that kind of surrounds. Yes. Because especially, you know, this is a day where some franchises are looking to make, maybe get that final piece to get them over the hump or other franchises are looking to build those future pieces, the future faces of the franchise. And it just, no one goes into the draft feeling, oh, it's going to be a bad day. So everyone goes well, yeah, in. No like, one's like, oh, well, that guy's a bust already. Like, <laughs> like no one's a bust. Exactly. Know? Yeah. I mean, you might get some reaches here and there. And then, you know, the GMs end up being smarter than some of the uh, prognosticators, you know, down the road it ends up paying off. But uh, I, just, I just love the, the way the entire league, not only that, the entire league comes together and we get to see other people from other teams that you don't get to see in ordinarily in situations. And, and like you said, it's, it's just, just a great day to see these guys. You put it perfectly. Their, their entire lives are changing. Their entire dreams are yeah. coming through. And, and I guess I really thought about that where you've never been in one room where that many people's lives are going to be literally, so completely exactly. Changed. And like everyone who's been working towards this, they're literally all working towards the same goal. 
right? It's like team doesn't matter. They all want to play in the NHL. And so you're literally, I mean, again, like you and I have been both very privileged in our careers to be at a actual draft and not just watching on TV, but that emotion is very real, you know, and and they're kids, they're kids. And they're already like part of this journey. It's really awesome. It's really, it's really fun. And obviously it's different. This will be different this year was different last year, but I think even in those moments last year where you got, you got a different taste of that moment because it was literally just those prospects with their families, with their close ones, um, in their own environment. It was a little bit different in that sense. And sure, every prospect probably wants that big moment where you're walking on stage and you're putting on the jersey and you're shaking hands and all that. But there's something very, I don't even know what the word, very wholesome about having watched it through the lens of, you know, personal surroundings. It's very intimate. Yeah. I think that's yeah. a very point. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. See, this I, is I, why I need you on podcast, Sydney. <laughs> yeah, we're we're a good one-two duo. That's that's what we're here for. Yeah, it was just seeing them in their I don't want to say natural habitat, but you know, where they grew up in a lot of the cases, this is their household home. And as you said, surrounded by probably more friends and family than they could otherwise if you had to travel. Yeah. Although yeah. I am disappointed I didn't get to make a trip to Montreal, but maybe down the I, road. So I have heard that like they will be promised a big event eventually once things start. I know fingers crossed once things start to get back to normal. And I can also tell you, and I'm not being biased because I'm from Montreal and I do believe it's pretty much in top three greatest cities in the world. Um, <laughs> especially when it comes to these I things. Disagree. I <laughs> see fair. Um, I truly believe that everyone league wide will push for Montreal to get it again because there is no <laughs> look like, when there is a big NHL event in the city, which is where I currently am, I'm back home visiting family, uh, there's nothing quite like it. And I know that there was extreme disappointment that it had to be put to the wayside, but uh, I'm sure we'll be back here soon as, a, as an NHL uh, entity. And no doubt we'll be there, as will Chris Peters, our guest, who you can catch him on Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack. He's also the host of Hockey Sense podcast a former writer for ESPN, CBS Sports, and USA Hockey. And on Twitter, you can catch him at Chris M. Peters. And so, without further ado, let's bring in the expert, Chris Peters. Well, Chris, first of all, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We're very thrilled to have you join the team here and give us your thoughts on the draft. Hey, it's great. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's a, an exciting time of year, finally. It's, it feels yeah. like we should be doing the draft right, right this weekend, but uh, I guess we'll have to wait one more month. Well, on the day we're recording this, right, it is four years ago to the day that the New Jersey Devils drafted Nico Heischer. It was 2017, four years ago? Was that five years ago, four years ago? Whatever it is. I think your math is right there, four. <laughs> Thank you. That's the 23rd. <laughs> exactly. The 23rd of June, 2017. So here we are. You're right. We should be talking about who's going first in the draft. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... it's uh it's been a weird year. It's been a weird, and it's been a weird ride, but you know, the, the interesting thing is, is this draft, you know, somewhat reminds me a little bit of the, the Nico Heischer draft and that there's uncertainty. I mean, I think there's less uncertainty about number one at this point, but it is, it's very similar in terms of, you know, there's a, there's a, a whole bunch of different ways that this draft can go. And, uh, and, and we don't know how that's going to play out. I mean, we assume that Owen Power is going to be number one, but after that, it's really anybody's guess. And uh, I think that that brings a lot of excitement for people like myself, when there's a little bit of drama and we're, we're not sure exactly how it's going to go. 
And how much does having the Seattle Kraken, a brand new franchise, picking at number two, it's not like they have holes to fill in terms of like, oh, well, they've really needed this over the last couple of years. They're really starting from scratch in a sense, or not even in a sense, they are. How much of a wild card does that kind of give to people who are predicting who will go at number two? Yeah, it, it's a huge wild card. I mean, it's a great position for the Kraken to be in to pick second overall. And and obviously there's a lot riding on this pick. It's a lot of, you know, this is this is going to be really the player that is going to be probably one of the future faces of the franchise. And so that that makes it more challenging. And the other thing that, you know, we still don't know how many picks the Kraken are going to end up having is as we saw in the previous draft, the expansion draft, the Vegas Golden Knights end up with three first round picks. Um, interestingly enough, they only kept one of them. They re- used the rest in trades, including Nick Suzuki, who, uh, you know, might that one kind of bit them. <laughs> in a way that I'm sure they never expected it to happen. But either way, it's, you know, it, it's going to be really interesting to see what Ron Francis and his staff does, because it does change the dynamic. And, and I think that 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 number two pick, it's something that they can make a real impact in their organization on right away. But then it's also, are they going to try to get more first rounders? Are they going to try to compile second round picks? I mean, you know, Vegas actually really hit their first draft out of the park in terms of not just getting guys in the first round, but getting guys in second, third, fourth round that, that, you know, have signed contracts with them. So um, this is a a hugely important thing for them. And everybody's going to be watching what they're doing because we're all going to be analyzing it for years and years to come. We also in the prediction business prediction game, who do you think Seattle does take with that pick? You know, I I think it's, it's really tough to say, obviously uh, they have so many needs because they have nobody. Um, but I, I think if it were me, if it were me personally picking, I think that Matty Veneers is, is the guy that that makes the most sense. It's a you know potential number one, number two center at worst. Um, you know where he's a guy that that impacts the game in so many different ways. And I, I think that the way that he plays is really going to speak to Ron Francis because he's the kind of player that can set an identity for a team. Um, you know he's he's kind of modeled his game after Patrice Bergeron. He grew up in Massachusetts and. You can see some of those elements. Obviously, there's a long way to go between him and and where and where to get to as a, as a future Hall of Famer and Patrice Bergeron. But I think that you know you see the, the the way that he's studied that and and the effort and energy that he provides is really um, second to none in this draft. I think you know he he played for the U.S. at the World Juniors. You know I don't think they win that gold medal without a guy like him that can play at both ends of the ice and and, and you know be good on the forecheck, be good in in defense, and and also just really a force in the neutral zone, really disruptive player on top of the skill that he has. But I think that that makes the most sense for me um, for, you know, I think if you can build you know, Ron Francis has said that he likes to build his teams down the middle. I think that a lot of us are saying, Hey, maybe he goes defenseman as well. Um, just because that's kind of his history at, at Carolina. He often drafted defenseman, really built a, a tremendous blue line. So many of those guys were, were drafted players from, from his, his years there. And so, you know, I think that that's that there are options there for him, but I think if, if I'm them, I feel most confident about Maddie Beniers and what he's going to be as an NHL player and how he's going to help the franchise, maybe not next season, but the season after and, or, or even one more after that and, and be a really impact player for them for a long time. Well, let's get to the point. This is what everyone wants to hear. Who are the devil's taking at number four? Give us, <laughs> give us the insight. Yeah. Well, they're going to have so many options as well. And it, you know, what, which way do you want to go essentially is, is, is what I'm looking at. And, and you can say, well, if Beniers is gone or if, you know, if William Eklund is an option, you know, there, there, there are two players that have devil's connections in this range that I like to kind of play with as, as, as potential options. One of them is William Eklund, who I just mentioned, who played with Alexander Holtz at Jew Garden. And, and, you know, I think this year he really took his game to another level. I think, you know, Holtz had a nice season, definitely did well when he came over to North America. 
But Eklund, you know, we, we talked about Lucas Raymond and Alexander Holtz for all these years. William Eklund is in the same birth year. He's just a late birthday. And, and I think he's an elite level winger. And, and his production, he was the rookie of the year in, in the SHL this season, um, you know, was a full-time pro and played top six minutes at a young age and not dissimilarly from, from Alexander Holtz. And there aren't many guys that can do that effectively. And so I really like what he brought to the table. So that, that's an option. The other one, you know, I think a lot of Devils fans are going to be really intrigued to see if Luke Hughes is available there, uh, the defenseman from the National Team Development Program, younger brother of Jack Hughes, the last of the three Hughes brothers. Um, you know, and I've been following their family story for years. I wrote about them for ESPN the magazine back when ESPN the magazine existed. And uh, and it was such a great experience to, to kind of see them, you know, before they were, even that was before Quinn's draft. And so all of them, you know, were kind of on the cusp. And, and here was Luke, this 14-year-old kid who, you know, just was just figuring out what kind of player he was going to be playing for, for little Caesars in Detroit and to watch his growth, the national team development program, both literally and in his development um, has been really impressive to see. And I think he's a, a dynamic defenseman. I think he can change the game for, for a lot of teams. I think he can take over shifts, great puck carrier, really good in transition, probably the best skating defenseman in this draft for me. Um, excellent edge work. You know, if you watch Quinn Hughes play, you'll see a lot of the elements that, that Luke has, but he's six foot two and has a little more length. And as he grows into his body more, if he can get to 200 pounds, you know, that then that changes, you know, his ability to play on a more physical level, be a little bit better defensively, get some more detail in the defensive zone, but offensively really gifted player doesn't have the hand skills of Quinn. And, and we're always going to constantly compare him to Quinn because he plays so similarly to Quinn, but you know, there, there are definitely some similarities and differences between the two guys. But I think that Luke is a really, Petty player and a guy that is dealing with a lot, you know, the, living with uh, in the shadow of two brothers that went in the top 10. I'm sure that, you know, he's a guy that, that feels like he has every bit of shot to go number one in this draft. And, and he does, I mean, you know, through, he, he got hurt at the end of the season. If he went into the world under 18s and had a great, great tournament, maybe he's, you know, in a greater discussion for this top five, top four. Um, but I, you know, for me personally, I think he's the second best defenseman in this draft after Owen Power. Um, and, and if he's there, I think he's a difference-making defenseman. And obviously, if you have two, two Hughes are better than one. Uh, you know, I mean, you, it's, uh, it's, it's just... You've I'm been just hanging saying. on to that ever since saying. we asked you to be on this podcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You mentioned um, Luke, obviously, but there's another brother in terms of connections with New Jersey that sort of looking at other people's draft boards might fit into that category. And that's Brent Clark, who is brother to Graham Clark. What are your thoughts on Brent? Because I've only heard, you know, shining reviews of who this kid can be. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's of the defensemen in this draft, probably the most offensively gifted in terms of just his game is so refined offensively. Um, he, he plays the puck extremely well, moves the puck well. You know, the, the big knock on, on Brandt has been his skating. And it's, he lacks kind of that, that, that burst, that explosiveness, that north-south speed that some of the other defensemen have. However, one thing that I always say is, you know, there's a difference between being fast and playing fast. And I think that he plays the game fast. He moves the puck extremely well. He's got good change of direction. You know, it's just that, you know, can he get up ice quickly enough? Can he recover quickly enough? Those are the types of questions that I think that we all have still. But to me, he's still a top 10 talent in the draft. So you take, if, if skating is the only problem, you, it's something that can be worked on. It's really difficult to get it to a level that's, you know, much higher than you are at that present time. But I mean, we, there've been so many guys where skating has been a concern. You think like John Tavares and others like that, where, 
where it was a concern, but they find a way to be an effective NHL. And some that takes hockey sense. I think that's something that Brant Clark has a ton of. He's got an incredible uh, mind for the game. He, he moves the puck. Well, he played professionally this year too. I mean, you know, he played in the pro ranks at 17 years old and was a highly productive defenseman in the Slovakian pro league. And, and, you know, you take a kid out of his own familiar environment, you put him against men, you put him against guys that are paid to do this and have been in playing in that league for years and years. And he still had one of the best product, most productive seasons by a player of his age uh, as a defenseman in that, in that league. So he's a really important, um, you know, he, he could be a really important figure in this draft. I think he's one of those guys where there's a lot of wide ranging opinions, but there are plenty of people that say, Hey, he's a top five talent in this draft. And, and I'm, I, I, I hedge a little bit because of the skating, but at the same time, it would not shock me or surprise me, or even I, I wouldn't, wouldn't criticize a team for taking him early because of that offensive upside that he has. It's interesting because this year, and, you know, Sam and I have talked about this, a lot of players have, you know, who are in their draft year have had to make these really crazy decisions to have to play somewhere else because of the pandemic, because the CHL was, you know, really pretty much closed for most of the year, except for the Quebec Major Junior League. Do you think that that helped um, the draft status of some of these players to go overseas, just as you were talking about with Brent, playing against competition you would have never seen him play against in his draft year. I think it does help. The one, the one issue with it is it's, it's hard to contextualize it, you know, even for seasoned scouts in terms of what does this mean? Because the Slovakian pro league is not a league where you're going to see a ton of defensemen come out of in an annual basis. And they don't, they don't actually in that league, it's pretty rare for a teenage defenseman to get significant ice time. So, I mean, so that, so those are the types of things. Okay. So when I'm contextualized it that way, it becomes all the more impressive that he was able to play such a significant role. I think about other guys like Mason McTavish who played in the Swiss second division, another league where it's hard to gauge, you know, there aren't many players that are getting drafted out of that league. So it's, you know, how, how much we put that up against. So you take that, you take what you saw from those players last season as younger players in the OHL or wherever they were. And then you also take the world under 18 championship where Brand Clark and Mason McTavish and all those guys played and you say, okay, well, now we can see a little bit of, you know, for Mason McTavish in particular, he played the game like a pro at the U18 level. And you could see all, all that pro experience and how it rubbed off on him because he became a much more physical and difficult player to play against. And you could see the smarts and just, you know, the cleverness that, that comes with playing pro hockey. Because I think one of the things that we look at when, when young guys are playing pro hockey is how do they deal with the experience deficiency that they have? And, and because most of those guys, they're playing the pro leagues. Okay. They're not the best pros because they're not playing in the NHL. Right. But they're playing professional hockey and they have all this experience. They know all the little tricks that can, can trip you up. And the sooner that the kids figure that out, the, the faster it becomes, you, you start saying, okay, well, there's a lot of hockey sense there. There's a lot of know-how there's a lot of creativity. You know, they, they, they're, they're processing the game at a, at a reasonable speed. So you learn a lot from these players. It's just difficult to say, okay, relative to what we would have seen, how, how do we weight that? And I think teams are still struggling with that as well. What, what is the way, how do we gauge this properly? Um, because we can't contextualize it the way that we normally would against their age peers because they didn't exist before this. So, um, yeah, so it's, but, uh, but I think in general, the fact that they played anywhere helps them because there are a lot of players that didn't have that opportunity that, you know, are potentially going to have to wait until next year to see if they get their name called because, you know, teams are, are, are not going to be using draft picks on things that they, they aren't certain about. And a lot of teams, obviously, when we look back at drafts in the past, we love to look at those late round picks, the second, third, fourth, fifth guys that 
end up being star players in this league. Is this a draft where we're going to have a lot of those? I mean, we spoke with Mike Morial uh, about a week ago or two weeks ago, and he was saying there's going to be one where we look back and there's going to be 10 to 15 legitimate superstar, maybe all-star players taken on day two just because there is such little film on these guys, the inability to watch these guys in person that a lot of these guys that may have been higher-end draft picks are going to slip through the cracks and, and you'll be able to steal them on that second day. Yeah, I, I think it's certainly possible. I mean, it's just a matter of, you know, I, I think the scouts that that were able to see players this year feel pretty confidently. The scout, the scouting staffs that had good books on players from last season as well feel really confident about about this draft and kind of where they are. But but yeah, but I mean, I think that that's that's a thing where you, you know, this year you're guessing a lot more. Um, you know, we don't have the combine. We don't have we don't have a lot of these these signature events. And we don't have the regular benchmarks of a season. I think that's been the hardest thing for me to gauge um, is you've got, you know, the beginning, middle and end of a season. You can kind of segment it off and see, you know, how a player is. You, you do your early season check in, your mid season check in, your end of season check in, um, you know, where you're just getting tape and tape and tape. Well, it's, it was kind of a sustained middle part of the season, basically, where you're not. You know, they, they've been training off ice. They've had practice time. You know, some of the it, it, you don't really know exactly. What to do so. I think the players, you know, there are certainly going to be guys that are probably going to go higher. You know, there might be more mistakes in terms of, you know, this guy is going higher than he should because he played and we got a lot of tape on him. And, and then there's another guy that maybe played 12 games or fewer. And then you're, you're, you're really kind of questioning what's there, but you saw enough of something to make that bet. And then it pays off later. So I do think that that is, is certainly possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, based on the scouting staffs that I've talked to, you know, they feel confident about their boards as, as much as they do in any other draft year. They don't love, you know, this, this draft does not have the strength. And, and some of that is certainly due to the fact that we don't have the full season picture and we don't have every player to really gauge against each other in a, in a, in a situation that we're used to seeing. But, but at the same time, I think the scouting staffs that have you know invested in, in the video and invested in trying to get to as many live games as they could this year as was safe and was allowed. Um, and then also the, the, the stuff that you learned from the previous season as well. I think that'll play a much bigger role this year than it would in any other draft year. So is a lot of that been overhyped then in that sense? Cause obviously it's, it's been a difficult year in all these senses, but you're saying that you, you feel these teams have feel they got a good read. They're strong and confident in their boards. So are maybe we making too much of the the fact that it was so discombobulated? Well, I, I think that they all recognize that it's a different year. It's just it, the 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 situation is is that they they most teams had a plan coming into the season, knowing how it was going to be, and that's partially based on what happened at the end of last season and just having to restructure your whole thing. And there was more than enough from last season to gauge and to draft on. This year, not necessarily the same. So a lot of teams were doing when when there was a shutdown. I was talking to a lot of teams that are watching all the U 17 video, the draft minus one year, you know, like they were, they were getting prepared for this season. So they felt like they had a good baseline for those players. And so I don't necessarily think it's overhyped because it is difficult because we don't just as a, what I've said before about the benchmarks of a season, you don't see that natural progression of a player. So it, it, that is the challenging part, but I do think that, you know, of the scouts that I've talked to, you know, especially a lot of the U.S. based scouts, guys that have been able to see the USHL in college, they've got a full season to look at. They 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 feel like those area scouts feel like they know their area as well as they've ever known it because they've had more time to do it. Um, and I think they're really excited to move on from this draft season as a result. But 
but I, you know, and, and I think that some of the European based scouts, they feel pretty good about what they were able to see, you know, it was typical because Sweden and Finland both had their junior league shut down. Um, you know, so there weren't as many games, so, you know, you're not getting those, but so I, I think that we've made an appropriate amount of, uh, of, uh, of, um, you know, just kind of concern for this draft, but at the same time, the scouts, every, the thing that they keep coming back to is everybody's in the same boat. They've all had the same thing. Some teams certainly have invested more in scouting and more in video, more in analytics and all those things that, and that they think will help them. And then there are others that just feel we have the information that we need. We got enough of it. So I think that they they feel good about it. Whether that shows up on draft day is a whole other story, but I think that of most of the teams I've talked to, they feel pretty good, especially having the world under 18 championship at the end of the season in, in Dallas was a huge way for them to just kind of ease their concerns about a lot of guys that they hadn't seen live because they had many of the top players in that birth year that were in that event. So as someone who, you know, really delves into the draft and who's going first, second, third, all of that, do you prefer a draft where there's really contention between who's going first overall, or is it more fun to know, okay, this person's going to go, but then it's the trickle down effect. So what do you sort of like is, and is Owen Powers, he, would you say on everybody's draft board is number one? Yeah. You know, I think if you asked everybody mid season, they would have had a few different answers. Um, yeah. But he has been largely the guy that has, has, has kind of separated himself from the pack at this stage. And part of that was going to the world championship and playing a top four role for Canada on a gold medal team, um, you know, and having a, a significant impact on their, on, on the, on the on ice product. I mean, he started the, the tournament with, with no ice time. I mean, first two periods, he didn't play or first period. He didn't play. Then he got a little bit, then he got a little bit more. And then they're like, Oh, we got to start playing him. <laughs> um, and I think any of the concerns that a lot of teams had about him earlier in the season, they saw a lot of the smoothing out of Owen power there where he's playing a much more mature defensive game where he's moving pucks up ice with confidence, where he's, you know, he's playing against professionals. And even though it wasn't the the typical world championship year, he's still playing against guys that have been in that tournament many times before that know how to, to, to win games. And he managed to be better than most of them, you know? So, I mean, he was, he was, uh, he was a, such a, a treat to watch in that tournament and to see him in his progression you know, we talked about not having that. Well, we saw him at the beginning of his college season, and he was a guy that I thought got better and better and better and better. Michigan, unfortunately, wasn't able to play in the world, uh, the NCAA tournament because they they had a positive COVID test and the whole team had to, they, they had to that leave the it. tournament. That was it. So, yeah. And that was that. And so we've, all of us are thinking, well, we're not going to see Owen Power again. And then sure, sure enough, he goes to and, and makes Canada's team and um, and, and makes a huge impact. And I think that, that he has separated himself. So to answer the first part of your question, though, I definitely, I feel, I like it better when I know who's going to be number one, because then I can focus on everything else. Um, because I, you know, and, and I, I often find that my, the most exciting part of the draft for me is in usually in that four to 10 range, what's going to happen there, because that's where the consensus goes. And, you know, you think about different things that have happened in recent years, like, like, um, you know, Detroit picking more at cider and, and like the audible gasp from the yeah. audience. I've never experienced that in a draft that I've been at where it's just like, what? <laughs> so, um, so that was, that was an amazing moment. And, and uh, Steve Weiserman has been proven pretty, pretty smart for, for making that pick. So that's the kind of, that's the time of the draft where I find it really interesting. And then really once it gets beyond that top 10 and especially this year, 
it's going to be all over the map. And, and we're going to see, and I think it could end up a little bit more like last year, where I thought last year the top 10 was high, high end, and there was a huge gap between the top 10 and the rest of the field. I think there's an even bigger gap this year. Um, and so that's where you start seeing a lot of different questions. We've got two potential goalies that could go in the first round as well this year. So that makes, uh, you know, teams have to kind of work around that. Um, so that, that, that's the thing that really makes it exciting and, and unpredictable. So I really like, so I'm glad that Owen Power has separated himself because now I can focus on two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, you know, and all those. And, and, and it's not easy. Let me tell you, it's been, it's been a long process. I'm just wrapping up my final draft rankings now to come out at the end of the week. And I'm just like, you know, I'm still moving guys around. I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, you, those are the types of things that you just, you, you start nitpicking also everything. Like you want to be right. Is it also like, yeah, yeah. You know well, what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think being right is, you know, yeah, it's being more right than you're wrong. Typically yeah, is, fair. You know, like, yeah. you're not going to be perfect. Um, there's no way to do it. I mean, I think I, you know, I've given up on trying to have perfect mock drafts because nobody in any, any field has ever done that. I don't think where they had a perfect mock draft, but I think in terms of making an actual draft ranking, that's where I really want to make sure that I'm, I'm doing, you know, my pro going through my process, the way that I normally do it. There's no question for me this year was way harder than any I've, I've dealt with. Um, and you know, it wasn't even just having the video because I, I video scouted plenty in, in my days and, and it's, it's you. I mean, that's how I really started out. And, but it's just this, this season is so weird and there's just a lot of different variables that you have to consider. So yes, I would love to be right. But as long as I'm right more than I'm wrong. And, and I think I'm probably somewhere like, you know, if you bat 300 as a scout, you're doing pretty well. Um, so if I can get to there, that that's great. That's not being more right than I'm wrong, but it's, it's good enough for me. <laughs> hey, if you bat 300 in the uh, major league baseball, you get in the hall of fame, hall of fame. Exactly. That's <laughs> why I say all the time. Exactly. So speaking of predictions, since you're, you're trying to bat here a thousand on this, on this upcoming draft, what about some of the later round guys? And we talked about the early round guys, the devils of course have a second first round pick, which may end up being the 31st pick overall, the way the Islanders are going it's still to be determined at this, at the time of this recording, but uh, who are some guys that are a little later in that 20 to 35 range that you think may be able to make an impact on this club? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's certainly a wide range of players. And I mean, you know, you look at, you know, my, my 20 to 30 is going to probably look different than a lot of others. You know, I think in terms of players that, that could realistically be available there um, you know, you, it depends. I think some of it might even depend on who you end up taking with the fourth pick because you know, if you say, okay, well, we're taking a chance on a defenseman early, you know, you may want to say, let's see if we can find a skill forward later. Um, you know, and I think there will be guys like that available, you know, thinking of some of the guys that could potentially be there. Um, you know, there's, there's Francesco Pinelli who, who would normally have played for, for the Kitchener Rangers, but played in, in Slovenia. He was one of the players that really had to find a spot to play, but he, he came, came along and, you know, he's a guy that has a lot of skill, um, there's some good fluidity to his game. He's a good center, you know, good two way capabilities, nice effort. Um, so he's a guy that, you know, could be, could be available late in, in the first round. Um, you know, I think the, the skating is not necessarily to a level that makes you feel super confident in terms of, you know, him being a top 15 pick, but, you know, I think that his skill level is such that you're saying, you know, he can make, he can make plays and be a good player in, later in the round. If you're looking at defensemen, I think Daniil Chayka, uh, Chayka could be there, um, a D Russian. He had to play – he normally would have played for the Guelph Storm, played in the KHL this year, 
And it was really difficult for him to get ice time. It, it didn't, this was not a good situation, you know, of, of the players that were impacted most negatively that actually did have a chance to play. I feel like Chico was one of them. Um, you know, didn't make the world junior team, didn't have a really, you know, he's too old for the, for the world under 18. So he didn't really have this chance to have a, a showcase for himself that where he was playing a regular shift and, and, um, you know, making plays and everything. And, and, or, you know, so, so Chike is a really interesting one. I think that he's big, he's lit, you know, he's got a lot of range. Um, and, and I like him. I think he's a first round potential talent. Um, and, uh, and sorry, he did play in the world juniors, but he didn't play well at the world juniors this year. Um, but you know, he's, he's an interesting guy for me. I think, you know, there are some other ones, like one of the guys who's, I, I haven't been get, able to get a huge read on in terms of what the industry, how the industry feels about him is exactly Zachary LaRue who plays for Halifax, highly skilled player, but he got suspended four times this season. And, you know, and so there, there have been some questions about, you know, on ice maturity, you know, the, does he let his emotions get the better of him? But when you look at his talent, I mean, he is a top 15 talent in terms of skill. I think that his skill level is, is such, but I think there are enough concerns. That, and then if you say, Hey, we feel confident that this is a maturity thing and that we can, you know, we can work with the player. Then you take those chances. And that, I think that that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but yeah, there are so many, you have such a wide range of players. And I think that, that, that this draft, there will be value in that late stage because not everybody feels the same way about these guys. So if there, there's going to be somebody there, that the devils have scouted enough. that They feel pretty confident in, as a player that'll be probably higher on their board than he, than, than they're drafting, which is always a nice feeling to have. Um, so it, it should be a very good spot for them to, to add to what is really becoming a very strong prospect pool. Um, and one of the better ones in the NHL. So I think that they have a real chance to make an impact with that pick. It's just going to be a matter of who's left and uh, how, how do you feel about them? I think if one thing that we've seen about Tom Fitzgerald and his scouting staff is that they're willing to make, I mean, maybe bold is not the right word, but you know, last year we saw Shakir Mukamadulin being picked. And I mean, it took me forever to learn how to pronounce his name because I had never <laughs> heard of him before, Do you, but you know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. and I, I feel like that really surprised a lot of people. So it shows a boldness in uh, trust in who your scouts are. And it looks like he's going to be a, you know, a, an eventual player for this team. Yeah, he had a really nice season this year. I mean, he he definitely improved. And I, you know, he was a guy that was pretty low on my list, certainly not a, a first round guy. And I think that he's he's you know played better and better. I mean, they they took a bet on upside, and it helps when you have three picks. I mean, you hit a, you know, you, yeah. you got a great goal scorer in in Holtz, and then you get, you know, an excellent two-way player in, in Mercer. Mercer. And then all of a sudden you've got, you know, let's let's take a swing with this third one and take a guy that maybe. You know, and there were other teams that had him as a first round grade. I mean, you know, so it wasn't like the 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 Devils were so far far afield, like the Blue Jackets might have been. And their pick is looking pretty good too. And in, in, in uh, Chinakov, who they he got they they brought in uh, uh, in their first round and, and sent everybody scrambling like who is you know he's some of us <laughs> knew who he person? was at least some of us knew who he was. So, um, but yeah, but you know, but Muhammadulin is is this really interesting player that I think you know, those are the types of guys that you take swings on, especially when you have multiple picks and you say, Hey, do we feel strong? Does he fit in what we want? You know, are there good, you know, how are his interviews? How do we feel about him character wise? You know, if you have a strong enough read on a player, it's not so much of a swing. It's more of a, you know, like a, a very educated and thought out process. And I think that, you know, they, they went with based on what they had on their board and he was a guy they had higher than I think several other teams did, but certainly they weren't the only team that, that liked them. 
What about the goaltenders? We, we always, I know this team has Mackenzie Blackwood, but you never have enough good goaltenders, as I think the playoffs have shown. Sometimes you need a one-two. And do the Devils look at a goaltender, late-round pick, a guy like Wallstead? I, I probably doesn't fall, or Acosta. I'm sure they won't fall, but if they are on right. the board there, are you tempted to take them? I think if they're on the board that late, you you run to the podium and and grab one of them. I I just don't think they will be. There's a really good chance that both of them will be gone by the 15th pick. Um, and that's that's where that's where things are trending. Just because I think Kosa had just an unbelievable year, and then Wallstedt is one of the best Swedish goalie prospects we've seen in a long, long time. Um, and and it's played professionally at such a young age and played well. Um, so those two guys, I think are going to go pretty early. They're, they're pretty exceptional. And I think as teams have seen with Spencer Knight, you know, Yaroslav Skarov, and then the importance of young goaltenders and, and getting them into your system, they're going to be gone. There is one guy who could potentially sneak into that range. And that, um, if, if, if a team's willing to be bold, I think it'd be gutsy, uh, you know, to say, to say the least, uh, but, uh, Ben Goudreau, who was the goalie for Canada at the world under 18 championship did that. Those were the only games he played this year. So you're judging it off of a, an insanely soft sample size. Um, you know, he is a guy that some believe could be a, a first round caliber goalie with a lot of upside. But one thing that I think you have to consider with a goalie like that is what did a year of lost reps do? Goalies need reps. Yeah. They need game reps. They need live shots. They need game situations. And I think that it's through no fault of Goudreau's own that, that he ended up in a situation where his league didn't play. But you also have to say that's that's a huge risk to take. So if he's I think he's a guy that could be there in the mid rounds where you actually have a chance and it maybe you have to go in the second round. But I I think it'd be a little risky to go first round, but if it's second, third round, if he's there, that's a guy that I would consider taking. There aren't many great goaltenders in this draft. There are a lot of guys kind of in the later rounds that you could find. Um but yeah, so I mean, that's the thing. So if you want to get really crazy or not, it's not even crazy, but I, I mean, if you really, you know, you say, okay, even at number four, do you say we like our goalie, but we we have a chance to get a, a one of the top goalie prospects that's come along in the last 10 years? That change, you know, you have to, you talked about being gutsy and, and taking chances. If you believe strongly enough in one of those guys being the goalie of the future, you know, it's not out of the question to do that. I think it wouldn't, I think a lot of people would be nervous by that, but as we've seen in this, in this postseason, all four goalies that have been primary starters are first round draft picks. So, you know, that's, that's something that you have to consider, but as we've also seen, you can find plenty of value outside of the first round as well. So we've talked about brothers um, connections, but what really intrigues me in doing a lot of draft research for our road to the draft series is there's a lot of father son connections when it comes to old NHL players or former NHL players now about to watch their sons get drafted. If it were up to you and if you're sort of looking at that first round, how many, you know, sons of will we hear about? Because there's obviously Sillinger and Stillman and Robida and Boucher. There's a, yeah. you know, that comes to North American skaters, but What's sort of your impression there of sons of? Yeah, well, you know, like sons of NHL players are always interesting because, you know, it's not just that they have the great bloodlines, it's that they've had the experience of being around a professional and and they they carry themselves a little differently and they they have a they have a different understanding of the game. I think that they have almost a different respect for the game just because they saw how hard it was for their for their parents. Even, you know, guys like uh, you know, Cole Sillinger, of course, I think he's probably gonna be the highest, you know, of the NHL bloodlines. 
I think he'll probably be the highest selection. You know, he was a guy that was displaced as well, managed to get to, to go play for the, uh, um, uh, for the, for the Sioux Falls, Sioux, Stampede Sioux in the Sioux USHL. Falls, yeah. Yep. So, you know, he goes down there and he, he, he likes the league on fire. You know, he's rookie of the year in the league. You know, I think there was some consternation of a guy that had a WHL experience coming to the USHL and being the rookie of the year, but either way, you know, he had, he had such a positive impact and profound impact. And, and I think that he just plays the game at such a, such a high level and is a really creative player. You know, there, there are a lot, you know, Brian Savage is another one. He, he's he, red Savage is probably a mid round pick. Um, you know, the guys that you mentioned Stillman for sure uh, is, is a, is a big time uh, you know, he, he's, he's a, he's an energy player. I think, you know, he, he's had some really great moments this season. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I just think that of all those players, you know, and then there are plenty of guys that had dads that played European pro college hockey, all these other things that, that have, that are, that are going to be available in this draft. But um, yeah, it, I will mention Boucher as well. Cause Ty Boucher is a guy that missed most of the season with injury. Um, and, you know, Brian Boucher was a goaltender. Ty Boucher is a hard four checking goal scoring <laughs> winger, um, you know, and, 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 you know, guy that can play center, just a really smart player. Um, and you know, he's one of my favorite players in the class, even though I only got to see most of what I saw of him live. I only saw him live last year and I've seen him, you know, on video this year and just the effort that he brings every shift, you know, you just say, this is a guy that is going to will his way to the NHL because he just, uh, refuses to be denied. And, and I'm sure, you know, I, I wonder how many shots he's taken on his dad over the years and how many, uh, how many he's gotten past them, but it, it doesn't hurt it. You know, that's why, why don't we have more goalie, uh, goalie sons that are, that are elite shooters that can, uh, they've been really the shooter, shooter, the <laughs> yeah. shooter tutor in the world, uh, for a dad. So, yeah, so that's, uh, I, I think we'll have to look into that a little bit further. Maybe Ty is going to end up being a, a case study. I think uh, if you ask both those guys, you'll get two very different answers from them on that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, last one from me, the last three technically for me, and then I'll let Amanda finish it out. But just, I want to know your can't miss prospect, your risky, but has high upside prospect. And then your, this guy's going to be a steal. He's flying on the radar, radar prospect. Oh, okay. Well, I, I think that the can't miss guy for me. Wow. It's always dangerous saying this. I don't want to end up on, you on the spot here. Exposed yeah, we're we're, we're going to radio you. I think that's yeah, exactly. part, right? five years, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, five years I, down I, the road and see how accurate you were. I also don't want to just go with the obvious Owen power answer, but so I'll, I'll say, yeah, I mean, I I'll say that to me, the can't miss guy of the class is actually Maddie Beniers. I, I think that his, he impacts the game in so many different ways, the effort, the skill, the speed, his strength. He's also, he's just a highly intelligent person and player. He was supposed to go to Harvard this year that, you know, the, they, they didn't have a season. So he ended up going to Michigan and to be a true freshman and make the impact that he did was pretty impressive. And now the interesting thing was he was not the big 10 rookie of the year. That was his teammate, Thomas Bordalo, but he was the team's rookie of the year, which says a lot, you know, about how his peers and, how, his coaches and, and <laughs> how, how they felt about him. Um, and so he was a, you know, he's just, he, he's uh, he's going to be a guy that's going to need a little bit of time. He's got to continue to get stronger and just, you know, get some more experience. But I just think that, you know, I, I look at the the drafts that we've had and normally if it's close, you say you take the center over the defenseman. I think, it, I think that Owen power just separated himself just enough. Cause I mean, I think there are some people that, that really felt that, that Maddie Beniers would be a potential number one in this draft. And it's been amazing to watch his, uh, his trajectory kind of go on. Um, in terms of the high upside, but with, with risk, 
Um, I'd say it's probably Sebastian Cosa, the goalie. I, I think his upside is phenomenal. He's a, he's huge, uh, six foot six and fast. I mean, one of the fastest big goalies I've seen. And he, and he, I think this year he, he really contained his game more. He only lost one game in regulation all season this year. And that was in a shortened WHL season. And against, you know, there are a lot of caveats to that, but you know, he still has to stop the puck, right? And he stopped the puck 94% of the time. So that's, that's pretty good. It's pretty good in, in any league. And especially in junior hockey where the defense isn't always the best. So, um, but so for me, he's, he's the guy that has such a, a gigantic ceiling, but any goaltender, every single goaltender, there's no such thing as a can't miss goalie. We've, we've not seen it yet. So, so, you know, I mean, like there, there are guys that you can, you can certainly have a lot of confidence in and, and, but, but they're, they're the ones that are, are, are more risky. So I'd say Kosa is probably the guy that, that would be the, the high risk, high reward potential guy for me. Um, the under the radar guy that I think will be pretty interesting um, for me personally is Isaac Rosen, who is a, a, another Swedish forward. He scored seven goals at the world under 18 championship, which is actually a record for a Swedish player at that tournament. Um, he's not necessarily a natural goal scorer, he, but he is a highly motivated, speedy North South kind of winger who has enough skill to, to get through. And then, um, I think he plays solid defensively and has a good effort. Now he, he's a guy that I think there are some concerns in terms of, you know, does he have the creativity to be an offensive offensive producer? I think that he's just a guy that has enough versatility. And that's something I value a lot in prospects that, you know, if, if he's not going to be a scorer at the next level, what can he be? I think there are other things that he can do that help your team win. And, and being as good a skater as he is in a, in a draft that does not have many high-end skaters, I think that makes him stand out a little bit more for me even. Well, now I feel so much smarter about the draft and I'm going to just steal all your information and be like, yeah, I bet, I bet 300 too. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris. This was so awesome to speak with you again this year. So we have to do this again, you know, not just around draft time. <laughs> yeah. Anytime, anytime. Always a pleasure to talk to you guys. And, and thanks for having me on. Congrats on the new house, honey. What's this? Carbon monoxide detectors? Yeah, but one on every level. Because you can't see or smell carbon monoxide. And when fuel-burning appliances aren't working right, CO can build up and be deadly. Guys, I'm on it. We just want to know you're safe. At PSENG, we're committed to your family's safety. Know how to prevent carbon monoxide poisoning. If your CO detector goes off, leave immediately. Then call 911. Protect the ones you love. Learn more at PSEG.com slash gas safety. So a lot of information, obviously, Chris Peters, an encyclopedia with this information as far as these players. Uh, Amanda, what was your takeaway from that conversation? <laughs> that he knows a lot, that he knows <laughs> that he knows what he's doing. Um, I, I guess really that the the mix of having um, an unusual draft year where a lot of players didn't play. You have a new franchise coming in that could really change the trajectory of things based on where they go. There are so many unknowns. That it's so exciting. Hello, Red. I can hear you in the background. It's okay. <laughs> we all make our debuts. Don't worry about it. And that was a dog in the background. <laughs> but um, yeah, to me, it's the uncertainty of so much that that could possibly happen. And the other thing is that, yes, that is part of any NHL draft, the uncertainty. But because so many players, as Chris was talking about, we're playing out of their element in terms of being 17 years old and going off to Slovakia and things like that. 
you know, there's a lot of work to be done for these draft uh, specialists and these scouts. And uh, I'm just looking forward to it all. It's, uh, you know, we talked about it in the opening. It's just such a fun time. It's such a fun thing to to be part of. It's such an odd You, mix. your takeaway? Yeah. Well, yeah. And so, such an odd mix, too, when you when you consider some of these guys have missed an entire year's worth. Yeah. You mentioned like a Benjamin Goudreau, a goaltender that didn't see a year worth. Three games. Yeah. <laughs> Like so that's a whole year of development that he has lost. And other guys, you know, he, he um, mentioned uh, Francesco went to Slovenia. So now he's playing against men. And so maybe his progression was a little ahead of Kurt, you know, so it's, it's such a toss up when it comes to the draft that I thought actually the interesting thing I thought he had to say was that despite all the craziness and all the hecticness, and he admitted there's a lot of that, but he, he said that a lot of the teams are very confident and where their draft board is and where they're picking. So the, as, as wild as it might be, as such a wild card as draft as it could end up being, he does feel like a lot of these teams feel very confident where they are, where they're picking and the read they have on these guys. And I, I think that, you know, that really speaks to the emphasis that teams have maybe in the last 10 years or so really put on um, expanding their scouting staffs to make sure that you're not spreading your scouts super thin that they can't see what they need to see. Right. And I know that Tom Fitzgerald has done an excellent job of making sure that, you know, he's given his scouts all the necessary resources, whether it's video or, you know, being able to go see games and stuff like that, that it's a very exciting time. Um, And it's funny because these scouts, we talk about them, right? The scouts, the scouts, they work so damn hard with, like almost no glory attached to it because how do you know, like we, we don't necessarily get to see behind the scenes of it was, Oh, that one scout who banged his fist on the table and said, we need this guy. We need this guy. And then ultimately the GM decided to go with that guy. And here he is some sort of superstar. This is all a hypothetical, but the amount of people that work behind the scenes, the amount of scouts there are on a scouting staff, the unglamorous side of it, I think it like they tend to go very unappreciated because they're just the scouts. Do you know what I mean by that? I absolutely know what you mean. And actually it's, it's funny. Cause uh, I remember talking in depth for a story with one of the scouts who covered the Western hockey league and now the Ontario mm-hmm. hockey league, you can cover that on a bicycle. You just ride up and down the street. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> in the Western hockey league, you got to fly to here. You got to rent a car, yeah. you got to drive two hours to get to a rink in the middle of nowhere. And you're, you're basically on call from Wednesday all the way through the next Sunday and then you might get home and see your your family for two days. Then you're back on the road and you do yeah. that for X months out of the year. And then comes draft day and don't draft a single guy in your region. You know, like, yeah, that's, you're like, Wait, what? Yeah, that's somehow the way it goes, though. And, and, and you know, having been part of an NHL franchise now for four years uh, with the Devils going on my fifth year, it's allowed me to get to know a lot of our scouts and they are probably the most passionate people about hockey when it comes to anyone working in any franchise across the board, because of all those things that you mentioned, the sacrifices that they have to, to make with, you know, none of the glitz and glamor that other people might get. Yeah. And, and you have to have the passion or else you're not going to make it honestly. That is true. <laughs> and, and they work all that, all that time, all those months come into one day, well, two days, uh, that would be July 23rd and 24th, which is the dates of this upcoming draft. And, for that, we're going to wrap it here on this episode of Speak of the Devils, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. For Amanda Stein, our producer, Andrew McLean, I'm Sam Kassan. Enjoy your week, and we'll catch you next time.